The script couldn't have been written any better. Same team wins, same result as 100 years ago. When I found that out on the plane, my skin went prickly. The goosebumps are up. I just thought that is just, that's really weird. Almost put the game of cricket into a, a different stratosphere. It just completed just an amazing five days. So, you know, it was fantastic. Welcome once again to At The G. I'm Anthony Hudson and wasn't it great to be back at our mighty ground as it roared to life, albeit for a shorter time than expected, for the third Ashes Test. It was a reminder of the unique and powerful atmosphere that can only be created at the MCG. The type that was experienced for an incredible five days back in 1977 for the centenary test. Now, before we get into part two of our look back on that great match, I'm delighted to let you know that I recently had the thrill of chatting to fast bowling legend Dennis Lilly to discuss his special connection with the ground and the greatest moments he experienced, which of course includes the centenary test. It was amazing. that You know, it, it still sends a tingle down my spine. And I do tell a story at one of the functions, you know, all of these ex-players and, and, the, and the current ones that are going to play in the game um, that had played Ashes were there. And you really had a feeling that all of a sudden the, ro- the room was going to part and WG Grace would walk through. I mean, that was the sort of the feel for me that it, that it had. We'll bring you that conversation in full soon in a separate episode. In part one of our look back on the match that celebrated 100 years of cricket between Australia and England, we recalled the tremendous feeling at the G as the big crowds and the champions of yesteryear watched on from the stands as both teams struggled with the bat on the first two days, with Australia managing a narrow lead of 43 runs. The biggest drama was the felling of Aussie opener Rick McCosker by a Bob Willis bouncer. And shortly, McCosker will tell us what it was like to come back out to bat again with a broken jaw with the sound of the MCG crowd singing Walsing McCosker. The, the singing was just amazing and uh, you know, I, it nearly uh, took me down, actually. How emotional were you? I'd never heard anything, anything like that before for any other sports person. It was just such, such an Australian thing to do. The always entertaining Kerry O'Keefe lets us in on a pivotal moment of his cricket career. I remember Dennis came up to me. I had none for 91. He was so spent. And uh, he said, if you don't get wickets, we're done. I go, no problem. (laughs) (laughs) But there were, of course. And, of course, there's the exploits of Rod Marsh, Dennis Lilly and Derek Randall. Um, it was a hell of a contest. A lot of us knew that Randall had a touch of genius about him, but 
He also had a touch of madness as well, which is a bit worrying. It, it upset Lily. <laughs> that doffing of the cap was red rag to a bullet. We begin episode two with Rick McCosker telling us if he always had thoughts of batting again despite suffering a broken jaw. No, not straight away. Um, I had other things in my mind at that stage <laughs> and it was just to try, to try and find out uh, what exactly had happened and what was wrong and uh, how can we fix this. It wasn't really until I got back into the dressing room and we were batting in the second innings and I was, wasn't feeling too bad. And as the innings was progressing, we felt that we needed to uh, get a lot of runs in the second innings because the wicket had really flattened out. The Poms had a very good batting side and uh, Rod Marsh was batting and he was starting uh, getting towards a uh, historic century. So it was, I just thought it was important to, um, for those reasons and, uh, and also because I felt this was such an historic occasion that apart from the first half hour, three quarter an hour, I haven't played any part in this, and, um, and so I wanted to be back out there and doing something and um, being part of this match. And um, so all those things put together as the second innings uh, progressed, and that's when I decided I wanted to go out. Greg Chappell was captain, and he asked me, did I want to? So when the opportunity arose, uh, I was able to go out. It does seem amazing. It did at the time, and even looking back to go out there with a broken jaw, pretty severe injury. What was going through your head in terms of the risk? I accepted the risk, but look, I thought, well, you know, the wicket's very flat. And by the time I got out there, the English bowlers were fairly tired. They'd had a long day. I thought, uh, yeah, look, there's, okay, there's a bit of risk, but there's a, there's a bit of risk in whatever you do in life, isn't there? So, um, there was a job that needed to be done and I wanted to get out there and do it. So as it turned out, as the wickets were falling, it got down to seven or eight down, I think, and there was a new ball due. So Greg came to me and said, look, um, you know, there's a new ball just due now. If uh, if the wicket falls, and I think Gary Gilmore got out, uh, I want to send Dennis Lilly in um, rather than you to face the new ball. So I said, well, okay, you're the captain. So anyway, what happened was Gary got out, Dennis was sent in, that's something that he's never allowed me to forget uh, since then was that me being an opening batsman was shielded from a new ball by a fast bowler. <laughs> but he did a job, he and Rod managed to run a partnership, uh, but we still needed more runs. The scenes of you going out to bat again are famous, all all with the, as you said, the bandages all over your face. When you look back now, they, they look a bit wild and woolly, the way they're sort of strapped on over, over your face. The crowd's response and the singing of Walsing McCosker, that that mm. must have been incredible. It was incredible. That's something I'll always, uh, I'll always remember. It was pretty emotional. And it was amazing because I was a New South Welshman and most of the crowd were Victorians. So we don't normally get a very good reception in Melbourne when you're a, a New South Welshman. But on that day, I was an Australian, not a New South Welshman, and they appreciated that. And look, their, their singing was just amazing. And, uh, you know, I, it nearly uh, took me down, actually. But anyway, it was, was wonderful. How emotional were you? I'd never heard anything, anything like that before for any other sports person. And to me, it was, it was just something unique. It was just such such an Australian thing to do, and um, yeah, and being there representing my country, it was a fine thing. And I still, you know, I think about it. 
it still uh, still reminds me of a very moving moment. Yeah, I think he, the medical advice was not to bat because uh, he was his face was held together by wire, but he said, "No, I'm going to bat," and he did, and he was so brave. What was it like, Kerry, when he came out to bat? You were his runner, of course. And then the crowd started singing Walsing McCosker. I was alongside him and he didn't say any, well, he couldn't talk. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm doing all the talking. (laughs) Come on, you can do this and that. And he's going. (laughs) 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 And... uh... And I think he couldn't even drink. He had to drink through a straw. They yeah. brought out drinks and I drank all the drink. <laughs> <laughs> and he's just standing there because I don't think they brought out a straw. So. How did it go being the runner? Rod Marsh is a greyhound between the pitch and I move like a bollard. <laughs> so, the crowd was crying because Rick was batting with this potentially life-ending injury if he got hit. And the plonker was almost running him out. <laughs> yeah, I think there was a time when uh, when the crowd got really into uh, Tony Gregg. Uh, he was a captain and uh, he asked a couple of his bowlers to bowl a couple of bounces. And um, the crowd booed him for that. But it was test cricket and uh, they had to get me out. So that was fair enough. And I think Lever bowled you a bouncer and you hooked it or pulled it for four. I did, yeah. Uh, and the difference was, the technique of of have I've seen photographs of that shot since then and the technique was so much better than what it was in the first innings and that was the difference. If I'd have done that in the first innings, that wouldn't have happened. I think even England had a little bit of sympathy for him because after a while when they were pitching up they decided they had to bowl a short ball at him, but they were praying against everything that it didn't hit him. So they were bowling what you'd call now a, a slow bouncer. <laughs> And I, I thought to myself at the time, I, when I bat against England again, I'm going to wrap my jaw in tape <laughs> <laughs> because they were the slowest bounces I've ever seen. McCosker was batting primarily to support keeper Rod Marsh, who, as we heard in the first episode, was probably in the best batting form of his career. Marsh had already become the first Australian wicketkeeper in Test cricket to score a century, but no Aussie keeper had done it in Ashes history. Even as a youngster, Rod had shown ability with the bat, but it was never his priority. No, I always thought of myself as a keeper first, and runs I got were an absolute bonus uh, as far as I was concerned. I enjoyed batting, but, you know, I was a wicketkeeper first, and, you know, when I went to the nets, I mean, I never went to the nets just to have batting practice. I always looked after my keeping first, and that was uh, my priority. So, you know, I think most keepers are like that. I think they... They look after their keeping first uh, rather than the other way around. And plus the fact that, you know, batsmen are always a prima donna. So they always, <laughs> uh, always got to have things going their way and they want to hog most of the net time. The poor old keepers and the bowlers don't get much of that. So you know, we put up with it and go ahead and do our job. The expectations probably weren't as high either on wicket keepers in those days to score as much as probably they are now. Is that, is that a fair comment? Yeah, I think that's right. And I think, you know, you can blame a few people for that. Alan Knott was certainly one. Alan Knott was a terrific batsman and particularly good under pressure. And then, you know, people like Adam Gilchrist took batting and wicketkeeping to a new dimension. But he probably is the one most to blame because, you know, one stage there, I thought Gilly was the, the best 
cricketer in the world because he could turn a game quicker than anyone uh, an hour with the bat and he almost won games for Australia single-handedly uh, with his batting it was uh, he was fantastic you said in the talking about the first innings that you were you're in really good form so did you start to get the idea that you could get a hundred and, and get the team into a position where they shouldn't lose I think the reason I probably got a hundred because I never thought about it. I mean, I think if you ever think about getting a hundred, you get <laughs> you never do. Oh, I never did. So I, I just I think Rick came out. I mean, I think Dennis and I put on a few as yes, well. Dennis yes. got twenty odd, I reckon. Yeah, and and, and protected uh, Rick from having to be out there for the second new ball. Yeah, and Max Walker got a few as well, I reckon. Um, I had good support there at the end. You know, I mean, I just had to get 100 when Rick came out, although I never really thought about it and, and until I think it was, I think I might have been 96 or 98, not out overnight. Stumps on the third day. And we had a rest day the next day, which wasn't that smart because I kicked a footy for about four hours at Punt Road with the, the Richmond boys, with Kevin Sheedy and Barry Richardson which is just ridiculous because I remember waking up the next morning when I was, whatever I was, 95 night out I might have been overnight. And I woke up, my left hamstring was as tight as all get out and I thought, you idiot, Rod, for kicking a footy all day. How did that happen? We just wanted to kick a footy. And Barry Richardson was our uh, physio. So uh, he said, do you want to have a kick on rest day or get sheets and a few of the boys to come down? So that's what we did. Went and had a kick, as you do. <laughs> but four hours might have been just pushing it a little. Yeah, I was a bit stupid. <laughs> Dennis was there as well. We had photos taken in the Richmond gear, and those guys used to come into dressing rooms all the time. Dar Waitman and all that mob, uh, Mick Mouldhouse, they were all in there. Yeah. And it was good fun. So so 95 not out. Now, you'd, you'd made a Test 100 before, but uh, no, no Australian wicketkeeper had done it in an Ashes series, and quite a bit was made of that fact. You'd come close yourself before. So what did making that 100 mean to you? Oh, I mean, it was just good getting 100. I, I didn't ever think of it, you know, the, the only one, only Australian wicketkeeper in, in an Ashes. I mean, I didn't even think about that. When you get to 95 and you've got to sleep on it, basically, and you've got a day to think about it. I think all you're really thinking about is, I hope I get five more. That's all you think, really. And and when you got there? Yeah, well, I mean, I only needed five. It was pretty good five, I thought, I got. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't give any chances, I don't think. Uh, no, I don't. It, when I got there, it was, I mean, I don't know, I suppose a relief. I mean, I can't remember it being, you know, phew, thank God I got that or anything like that. It just... You know, the game was on still and I didn't know when we were going to declare or if we were going to declare. Oh, I was just going to bat. Um, my aim was not to get out, really, just keep batting. Rod had got his hundreds. Uh, we were starting, we were going fairly well and uh, I thought it was, you know, pretty much the time I got out of there and so, you know, ended up getting out. But um, which in hindsight, I you know, would have preferred to be to be not out. But uh, I wasn't really doing doing much. I wasn't scoring many runs and uh, would, uh, so I thought it was, was time for me to um, yeah, to go and uh, so that, that's what happened. I think he was, in, he was needled up. Uh, he couldn't feel his jaw. To, to get 25 under those circumstances was an extraordinary effort really. Yeah. But uh, he was that sort of fellow. So as it turned out, partnership with Rod was significant in the final wash-up and uh, allowed Rod to get 100. Marsh finished 110 not out, with Australia eventually declaring at 9 for 419. 
setting England a target of 463 to win, which seemed unlikely when Woolmer fell cheaply. But enter Derek Randall, the cheeky Nottingham number three known as Arkle, who found support from Brearley, Dennis Amos, and later Tony Gregg and wicketkeeper Alan Knott. The wicket got the pitch got better and better as the match went on, and you'd think you're going to setting them four sixty three. They can't run it down, but Derek Randall is a fantastic player. He's just so good off his pads and good through the offside off the back foot. Dennis didn't actually like him because he uh, he didn't appreciate that he was a fairly simple soul, but a well-meaning soul. And right. Dennis hit him in the head in the first innings, yeah. flush on the cap. And I was in the gully and I heard the thud and he bounced straight up and doffed his cap to Dennis and said, well, bowl, Mr. Lilly. And I thought Dennis would accept it in that sort of spirit, but he didn't. (laughs) (laughs) So there was a lot of of verbal there that he was a smart aleck and words to that effect. When he wasn't actually, he was just, oh, that was a good one. (laughs) Dennis wouldn't have been used to that, would he? Oh, he, for a start, he didn't want anybody bouncing onto their feet after he hit him in the temple. <laughs> he'd never seen that. But he'd also never said, well, bold. And as I explained to Dennis later, I don't think he meant anything by that. Uh, but he wouldn't be convinced, Dennis. So uh, the more he tried to hit him, the more Randall pulled him and cut him. So Randall won that battle. You know, the Lily versus Randall. He bounced him. Randall would duck down. He'd stand up to attention, doff his cap, which maddened Fott. Lily was, uh, had a very short fuse. Um, it was a hell of a contest. A lot of us knew that Randall had a touch of genius about him, but he also had a touch of madness as well, which is a bit worrying. It, it upset Lily. <laughs> that doffing of the cap was red rag to a ball which encouraged further bounces, one of which hit him on the nut, but he didn't care. Probably that was his least vulnerable part. Everyone loved Arkel, as they called Randall. There were a lot of outstanding performances in that match, but I suppose that's the one that people might remember most of all because uh, he was such a comical character, but that hid the fact that he was an extremely talented batsman. English 12th man and Randall's former county teammate Ed Barlow gave an insight into Randall the man to the podcast Once Upon a Time in the Ashes. So Arx was a, a different character and he's a great bloke, but he, you never quite knew to what to expect from him. When we got back to England and we played knots, he said, come, come round to my place, we have a drink, you have supper, you know, so and so. And I got round to his place and he opened the door and he had his pads on. <laughs> And he sat down at dinner with his pads on the whole time. <laughs> that type of guy, you know, but he was great value. He could see the funny side of anything. You know, someone tipping his hat at Dennis, when Dennis was really giving him some verbal, mm. going, oh, sorry, Mr. Lilly, he said. And so, I mean, you know, absolutely unique. But, I mean, again, that, that innings was an absolute blinder, one of the best that I've seen. Exceptional. Yeah, Brilliant. absolutely exceptional. Just amazing. He... One, most of the Aussie fans, because of he, never stopped bloody moving. He was like a, a bee in a bottle. He was, he was jumping around when he fielded, and he was a very good fieldsman. Yes. 
excellent fieldsman. So he's in the cover, he's on the move all the time, jumping around, and he was pretty much like that at the batting crease. He had to be so disciplined, concentrate. For a while there, it genuinely looked like they were going to win. And Rick Dennis was carrying a big load again with the ball, but even he started to wilt a bit as the English resistance grew. It was pretty hot, and uh, he would come off at the end of the session, spend most, pretty much all of the session on the physio table, trying to get his body back again so he could get, get back out and do it all again in the next session. And uh, it was just absolutely uh, heroic performance. It was just wonderful to observe and be part of. I remember Dennis came up to me. I had none for 91. He was so spent. And uh, he said, if you don't get wickets, we're done. And, and I, I go, the old no problem. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but there were, of course. Where were you in, in your career at that stage, Kerry? Um, I didn't quite know. Um, you know, I, I was a hard-working test player. Uh, I, I found test cricket difficult. I was never assured of the next test match, so <clears throat> I was playing basically to stay in the team. Um, and, and, you know, I, we're, I was amongst a lot of greats who were guaranteed their positions, people like Greg Chappell and Walters and Marsh and Lily. Um, so, uh, it, it, I, I, you know, I, I used to, I was a warrior, so I, I was never assured of being inside the 12. <clears throat> so I, I, if I had my time over and we all want it back, I would, I would concern myself less with that and enjoy and relax more during the test matches I played. But um, I tried to off the field in this one, but once the game started, I, I felt all that pressure again. And I was the only spinner so mm. uh, in that match for Australia. So... I knew when we built a big lead that, that I would be under pressure in that fourth innings, uh, and so it came to pass. <laughs> but, um, <clears throat> but lucky at the other end, I had one of the all-time greats, so uh, my burden was eased a bit. <laughs> How would you, for those, obviously, you know, you're so well-known as a commentator from First Radio and now, and now Television, how would you describe yourself as a, as a cricketer for those that are a bit younger that didn't see you in full flight? Um, I would say effort, 90%. Um, test match quality, 10%. Really? And, yeah. And see, I, I didn't turn – I was a leg spinner who didn't turn the ball a lot. So, And I played on a lot of batter-friendly pitches. So I didn't go past the outside edge very often. <laughs> side of the right-handers so that was tough but mate I I loved it and I worked hard uh I, I was fitter than most um I just you know at the end of my career David Hooks the late David Hooks yeah. we were having a beer and he said to me you know Scott you did well for a club cricketer <laughs> <laughs> and he meant it as a sledge of course <laughs> but I took it as a compliment and when I reflect on what he said, you know, it, it was probably right to a certain extent. Um, you know, I, I was, you know, I, I played above my pay grade on occasions, um, but I had to work to do it.
Carey may have had modest talents compared to some, but he was certainly needed on that final day as England threatened, particularly when Randall and Amos were at the wicket. Dennis Amos was a very good player. And in effect, that partnership was going to take the game away from us. But Greg Chappell came on and Greg Chappell got one to snap back into Dennis Amos and bowled him. And that actually turned the game because Lily always had Keith Fletcher's number and he was recalled immediately and Fletcher nicked him straight away. And that left us with Tony Gregg and, and Alan Knott and a long tail old lever Underwood Willis. So really the fact that Greg Chappell got one through Amos was a big call. But it's funny, Alan Turner got omitted for that game. He was my regular bat pad. And because I didn't have a, a big leg spinner, I relied on Rollins and top spinners. And I needed my short leg to be in there and on the job. And Gary Cozier was put there and he didn't actually trust me. <laughs> so I asked him to move forward and save the single. <laughs> <laughs> Which he didn't really appreciate. Um, but... He, he got in there on day five. They keep in bowls to Randall. And he's out caught. Cozier pops forward. Randall walks. Great catch by Cozier. Falling onto the pitch. Bat pad. I bowled this wrong to Derek Randall on 174 and he nicked it onto his pad and Coz dived to his left and caught it. And Randall walked on 174 and not many would have. He could have been a, a hero forever with an unbeaten double century. It was a thick nick, but you never know. And he walked. And then Tony Grigg came in, hit a few boundaries, and he nicked a wrong and onto his pad off me, and Cozy caught it again. But good old Grigg, he didn't walk. <laughs> <laughs> he rocked back and shook his head, uh, but had to be given out. And, and then the game was ours. Dennis came on and, and took a couple of wickets, and, and we won. How do you look back on those wickets and those critical wickets that you took? With great pride because all through my test career, I, I wanted to be part of winning a test for Australia. I'd done it in Trinidad in the West Indies. I took four wickets when the game was gone. And, you know, as a bowler, you have to take the responsibility of winning a game if, if it's there to be won. And too often I was a support bowler and I, I didn't impact test cricket enough. But this was an opportunity to take late day wickets and win the game. And I actually did take three wickets. So it, I was bursting with pride because it, it was a monkey off my back that I, I helped win this game. And probably walking off the field, I was as happy as I'd been on a cricket field because I knew the impact this match would have. Before Kerry had taken the second of his three wickets and with the game very much still up for grabs, everything stopped at the MCG for one of the highlights of the occasion, the presentation of the players to Her Majesty the Queen and Prince Philip, with Dennis Lilly somehow almost upstaging them both. Yeah, and unfortunately I played a small part in um, Dennis's uh, performance because I was a bit indisposed, I wasn't fielding. We knew that we had to be out on the ground to meet the Queen at the afternoon tea break. And uh, at the lunch break, Dennis came to me and said, look, you know, and we all had to wear our, our blazers. Dennis came to me and said, look, when you take my blazer out um, onto the ground uh, to meet the Queen, make sure you're standing next to me and put in the pocket a... Um, 
pen and piece of paper. I, I, I sort of realised what I was going to do. But um, anyway, when, uh, when the Queen came along, Dennis uh, said, yeah, ma'am, and as you do, and um, he said, dog, and, pulled, and he pulled out his pen and paper from his pocket and said, could I please have your autograph? And look, she was very, um, very gracious about it. She said, uh, look, Dennis, I'm, I'm sorry, I would love to, but uh, I can't get in front of all these people. So <laughs> she had to sheepishly put it back into his pocket, but I can't think of anybody else in the team who would have had thought of doing that or uh, had the guts to, to actually do it. I, I know I certainly wouldn't have, but... Um, he did. That was the guy. That's that's what he was like. And the Queen actually, she, looking at the vision, she was inquiring of how you were from obviously mm. you, were, you were bandaged up. What did she say to you? Yeah, look, I was a bit concerned. <laughs> it just came along that you take one look at me and, and just keep going. But I know she's very gracious and she she asked me how I was feeling and did I have a headache and um, she's yeah I'm sorry it happened and that sort of thing. But yeah, it was just a very very quick conversation, but. She was concerned and um, just you know, a few gracious remarks and then moved on to the next guy. He was a larrikin, of course, but uh, I think he may have met her a few times. So she knew who he was. Um, so standing in line um, with the autograph book. <laughs> so uh, that was just so him, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, he was uh, uh, that, that sort of guy. But, um, I, I mean, I think... Um, the fact that he, uh, he he didn't like protocol. He, he you know he was a is a very pragmatic sort of a guy. So he he took with protocols and formality. He was uneasy. So to ease that, he produced an autograph book and said, "Would you sign?" <laughs> <laughs> Which she declined, of course. Yeah. But I I mean I that afternoon I remember I had this spinning finger, which was a real problem. I had a sort of cortisone injections into my spinning finger all the time. And the calcification by bowling used to just swell. And I remember meeting, I was standing near him. Had She came along and my finger was really hurtful. We hadn't won the game as yet. And I thought, oh, I can't stand any real contact with my hand apart from the ball. And I had to shake her hand. I offered her a wet fish. <laughs> and she gave me the Malachi crunch. <laughs> and it shook all my fingers. But I reckon she shook all the, the swelling out of it because there was more flexibility in the, my right, right index finger after shaking her hand. And I went out there and got a couple more wickets and we won the game. So <laughs> I'm thanking the Queen. <laughs> after O'Keefe trapped Lever LBW for four. England were eight down for 385 and still 77 runs short of victory. And when Lily bowled Derek Underwood 25 runs later, the end was near. And I'm heading up towards the commentary boxes. I thought, yeah, Christopher's on, I'll be on soon. Frank Tyson sitting on the edge. The ABC television commentary just out there, one of the open booths that used to be used by the radio stations for footy. And Frank stops me and said... Wicket Falls now, same result as a hundred years ago. I thought, geez, that's a good call, Frank. So I've charged up to the box, grabbed hold of, of Christopher, whispered in his ear, Wicket Falls now, same result as a hundred years ago. What happens two balls later? 
Lily Bowles to Nott. Oh, he's given out. OBW, and that's it. Australia have won by 45 runs. An exact repeat of the first ever test match. Naughty LBW to Dennis. Australia win by 45 runs. Christopher straight out. Same result as 100 years ago. And I've got to thank Graham Dawson for that. How about that? And I said, well, I've got to thank Frank Dyson for that. So it was just amazing. Timing is everything, isn't it? That's right. Couldn't. The script couldn't have been written any better. Same team wins, same result as 100 years ago. Where have we been for 100 years? Playing a lot of great cricket. I remember standing up and yelling at the end of it in the press box saying, 45 runs, that's the same as 1877. (laughs) And it was almost as if it was contrived. But it wasn't, of course. England were desperate to get those extra few runs. And Lily, almost gasping for breath, he put in one last big effort, and, and that was that. So it was almost fitting, I suppose, that Australia won by 45 runs first time and 100 years later. And, and then we raced down into the rooms and somebody said it, it's the same margin as 100 years before. We didn't quite believe it. And yet you get back to Sydney and people said, oh, nice bit of stage managing. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, that, uh, that cynicism that you, you just worked it to that. Yeah. But uh, the reality, of course, as you know, is that uh, we were just happy to have won. Um, but it was just, it just completed just an amazing five days. So, you know, it was fantastic. I think it's scary to think that we won that game by the same number of runs, by 45 runs. I, I honestly, when I found that out on the plane, I, my uh, skin went prickly. I mean, it, the goosebumps are up. I just thought that is just, that's really weird. Really, really weird. And almost put the game of cricket into a, a different stratosphere. It, to me, it was like, wow, this is, this is an amazing game. How it turned up, those stats turned up like that. I mean, that's just, that's scary, scary stuff. And I don't think a lot of people realise just how, I mean, the odds of that happening. Yeah. And the way it happened, you know, it cheapest. Yeah, but anyway, it was a great game of cricket, that's for sure, and and one that, you know, I'll never forget. Well, I had no idea until we got on the plane that night. I cannot believe we did that either, how we got on the plane and went back to Perth straight after the game, basically. Did you really? Yeah. I can't understand why we did that. (laughs) I'm very surprised at that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, But I think we had to go to England, that's why, basically. Mm. To me, it's one of the great mysteries of my life, how... Someone got me on that aeroplane. We'd been away, I think, as well in New Zealand. And we'd also just got home, played that game against England, then left. You know, we probably hadn't seen our families for a hell of a long time. So that's probably why we got on the plane, I'd say for sure and certain. But it seems strange that that we didn't celebrate it properly. But anyway, wait till the next one. So all that was needed was the post-match presentations and the decision between the two standout players for the Man of the Match award. For me, the big heroes of the of the match were Dennis Lilly and um, Derek Randall. You know, their performance out of the circumstances were just absolutely fantastic. Dennis's bowling and and uh, Derek's batting at innings like that in such a big occasion, he was uh, fantastic, and he almost won the game and that that would have been one of the greatest innings of all time. 
to have won the game, but yeah. um, it didn't quite work out for him. But, but their performance was, was amazing. And he did receive the Man of the Match Award, which definitely should have gone to Dennis Silly. But so Dennis has got six for 26 in the first innings and a fifer in the second. I'll tell you what happened. Those that were judging had to put their votes in mm. at tea time on the final day. So that's how Derek got the award. Alan McGilfrey was one of those judges. And I'm sure he won't mind me saying, as soon as the award was made, he said, I will never, ever, ever go on a judging panel again. And he didn't. For all the sentimentality surrounding the centenary test, the most enduring image is of Rick McCosker going out to bat again, swathed in bandages with a broken jaw. And like a typecast actor, it's an association that McCosker has lived with since, like it or not. Yeah, and I'm just sort of thinking back on it now. Under the circumstances now, uh, there's no way in the world I would have been allowed to go back out <laughs> onto that field with uh, all the, uh, the HIA stuff and all the focus on concussions and stuff like that. It would never have happened. But um, So it was, it was just a different part of history. Does it annoy you that it's what you're most remembered for? Uh, no, I, I can't, can't actually say uh, it's annoying. It's, it's not annoying, but realising that, and this is the case with a lot of sports people and people in the public eye, they tend to get put into a box and that's the way that people look at you, regard you, and that's the only thing that you ever did. And that's what, <laughs> that's what you're, in inverted commas, famous for. Apart from going to think, well, yeah, that's okay, but Arnie scored 25 and four or something like that in the first inning, so that, that's not very brilliant. There are other test matches where, you know, I scored 100 and you know, captain the state side to win a Sheffield Shield and, and a few other things that I think were much more worthy than, than that. But that's not the way people see it. And they, they see you as this person who uh, got hit on the jaw and went out to bat again, and that's, that's the sum total of your test match career. So, look, yeah, you just, yeah, just have to you know, live with that. And it wasn't the only time you duelled with Bob Willis either, was it? Yeah, you know, I batted against him again, of course, in the um, 77 tour. And um, one thing I'll always remember is that Kent um, Bridge, the test match there, I was on 95 in the second innings and Bobby was bowling. So I knew deep down that he was going to bowl me a bouncer. And so, again, I was ready for it. And uh, fortunately, this time got a top edge and it sailed over the fence at Pine Lake. And so I went from 95 to 101 in a test match with hitting a six off Bob Willis. Yeah, we had a bit of a, bit of a laugh about it afterwards. In his post-playing days, McCosker has gone on to make a great contribution to cricket and the Newcastle community. And probably most interestingly, in latter years, as a chaplain to the Port of Newcastle, a role fundamentally linked to the mission to seafarers, lending a hand to sailors docking from around the world. Well, I'm still trying to work out how it all happened, but um, as it turned out, it was just after I'd, I'd retired from my financial planning business. Um, I'd completed a, um, a Christian formation course, and uh, I was just right at that moment thinking, well, okay, what happens now? What do I do now? And um, when I got a tap on the shoulder and said, this opportunity, would I could look at this, and I had absolutely no idea what it was all about. So I went to the, um, to the mission for a week just to have a bit of a look and decided, yeah, look, you know, this was 
something that needed to be done and was well worth, worthwhile. So, well, I needed to be doing something worthwhile. So that's how it all started. And, and we've been associated with the, the Mission Centre myself and my wife uh, ever since. So, so I had about five years as, um, as chaplain and really, really enjoyed and, and um, really appreciated the opportunity to, to do something worthwhile. And is it true that there was plenty of uh, Indian sailors and, and sailors from around the world, and <laughs> and they had an appreciation of cricket, and you know that, that the memories of the centenary test or your your reputation was known to them? Yeah, look, that's the case. Particularly with some of the older Indian guys, some of the younger ones, they had to Google to find out who I was. I often had a, an interesting conversation with them, and uh, you know, once I realised they were Indian, quite often would have a bit of a bit of a chat about cricket and uh, but not not letting on who I was or anything just just because I knew that they would you know, be happy to talk about cricket which they they were and they did and occasionally they'd they'd realize who I was or one of the other guys the other chaplain would um, let on tell them who I was and then they realized then but the average Indian person knows so much about cricket about international cricketers and uh, they, they're just so switched on about not only their own cricketers but any cricketers worldwide in closing the abc broadcast of the centenary test commentator and former england fast bowler frank tyson summed it up like this a thrilling match a royal pageant and a stroll down memory lane so, yeah, it was a wonderful celebration of, of the, not only just of the game, but of the game's values and the game's virtues. And that's something that worries me in this day and age. Um, we've lost so much respect for what's gone before. Uh, we, a lot of us don't know what's gone before. And I think this is a great sadness. And um, I, I think that the, the test cricket will prevail. But uh, we can't lose that game because th that is the game that has brought us not only a lot of joy, but it has brought us the traditions and the values that are just so important. And often I, people come to me today and say, I, I was at the ground on day two or I, I was there on day four or day five. And they were young, of course, at the time. But it's a lasting memory for anybody that attended the MCG. You know, the whole game was an amazing atmosphere and you sort of, you lose particular moments because it was all atmosphere. Just this magnificent game of cricket with a, a crowd that seemed to be buzzing the whole time. That's how it sort of felt to me. I'd enjoyed every night and, and every bit of the, the game throughout, but to be able to play an effective part in the winning of it, I was chuffed. The voice of Kerry O'Keefe, who helped Australia to a 45-run win in the 1977 Centenary Test, in a match that will always be remembered fondly by those lucky enough to be playing or in attendance. In this coming March, it will be exactly 45 years since that test took place. And as Graham Dawson suggested, let's hope someone is making plans for five years' time for a 150th celebration of Test Cricket. A big thank you to Graham and all our guests, Rod Marsh, Kerry O'Keefe, Rick McCosker, David Frith and Mike Cowan, as well as the ABC for audio from the game. And a reminder to keep a lookout for more on the centenary test from the one and only Dennis Lilly, as the great fast bowler reflects on his incredible feats during his career at the MCG. 
Until then, thanks for joining us. We look forward to seeing you soon at the gym.